Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter number 4. We'll begin again with verse number 1, and we will... Look at another question that God asked Cain in this chapter. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So, Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, and this is the question we're going to address. Where is your brother? Abel. I don't know, Cain replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and he lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. Cain and Abel were brothers. Although they were brothers, they were nothing alike. Cain loved to stay close to the house and garden, loved to get his fingers in the soil. Abel loved to raise animals and leave the house to go hunting. The Bible says that one day Cain and Abel decided to bring an offering to the Lord Cain brought an offering from out among his harvest. It wasn't the best that he had. It was kind of a leftover offering. At the same time, Abel brought an offering made up of some of the fat portions of of among the firstborn of his flock. It represented the very best that he had. As a result, God looked with favor upon Abel's offering But he rejected Cain's offering. God wants your best, not a leftover. He wants your best, 
He wants our best. The Bible said that after Cain became angry over God's accepting Abel and rejecting him, that God came along and tried to uh, counsel with Cain. Why are you angry, God said. Uh, Why is your face downcast? Why is your lip rolled out to your knees, God said. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door like a venomous snake, waiting for you to crack open the door by your anger. God was trying to woo Cain into a positive direction. The Bible says, though, that Cain did not listen to God. He did not follow God's counsel. Instead, he goes out and he entices his brother Abel to come out into the field. And the Bible says rather quickly that once Cain lured his brother out into the field, he jumped on him, attacked him, and he killed him. And immediately, God came to Cain, and he asked him this question, Where is your brother? It's a question that echoed the question that God asked Adam and Eve, the very first question in the Scripture. Do you remember it? Right after they had taken of the forbidden fruit and they became aware of their nakedness and they were ashamed, the Bible says they went and hid among the trees of the garden and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the Lord said, the Lord said, where are you? And so to Cain, the first question that came out of God's mouth was a where question. But it wasn't, where are you, although that would have been certainly pertinent. But it was a question, where is your brother? Cain gives a two-part reply. First of all, he says, I don't know. That was a lie. Then he comes back with a kind of a smart aleck question. Am I my brother's keeper? I think these two questions, the question God asked, and then the question Cain asked in response kind of go together. Where is your brother? And are you and I our brother's keepers? Last month, Amanda and I celebrated 27-year anniversary. Before we got married in 1984, we dated for four years. It took me four years to talk her into marrying me. During that time, we dated a lot. My little, my youngest brother, Jared, was three years old. He was blonde-headed, had straight hair that combed straight down to here, and then was cut straight across just above his eyebrows. You can picture him. Whenever I would drive up to Amanda's house, Jared, most of the time, went with us on our dates. As we would drive up to Amanda's mom and dad's house, which was a uh, very nice log cabin house back in the woods, Amanda would look out the window, and she would see me driving, but on the passenger side, all she would see was from here up of my little brother Jared. He was three years old. He went with us everywhere. I I felt a keen responsibility for my little brother, especially when he was with us. On dates, I was very careful, didn't let him get out of my sight. He was three years old. 
this is a nasty world in which we live in. Even in 1980, uh, the 80 through 84, it was a nasty world. And so I felt a keen responsibility to take care of my little brother. That's what big brothers do. Unless you are a big brother whose name is Cain. Adam and Eve's son, Cain, was a big brother. He was born first and then later, Abel. Big brothers are supposed to take care of their little brothers when they go on dates together. Big brothers are supposed to be not too hard when when the big brothers are wrestling with the little brothers on the floor in the living room. You don't put all of your strength in that wrestling match if it's your little brother. Big brothers watch over their little brothers at school. Big brothers, when their little brother gets hurt and mom and dad comes out and says, where is your brother? Big brothers should know. They're supposed to know. And they're supposed to care. Unless you're a big brother whose name is Cain. The Bible says that Cain was derelict in his responsibilities toward his little brother. The Bible has a lot to say about how we treat brothers. Except for the the, the Bible takes that word brother and expands it to include, well, everybody. Everybody you and I see is a brother and a sister. Somebody says, wait a minute, I thought that, that terminology was only reserved for those who are fellow Christians. Well, that is true. Those of us who have received Christ, we are brothers and sisters in a spiritual sense. But even everybody, if you want to go all the way back to the beginning of time, all of us are related to each other and therefore are brothers and sisters. We may not all be brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are brothers and sisters in this world. John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our, there it is, brothers and sisters. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on that brother or sister, how can the love of God dwell in that person? Boy, that's a tragic question. Dear children, he says, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and with truth. In Luke chapter 10, there's a very familiar story. You remember it very well. I know you do, everybody here. It was a time when Jesus was traveling and a very rich young ruler came to him and said, Good master, what should I do? What can I do to inherit eternal life? One of the gospels indicates that this man might have also been an expert in Jewish or maybe Roman or both law. And Jesus turned to him. He says, You know... The commandments, no murder, no coveting, and he rattled off actually five of them, and the man interrupted Jesus, raised his hand, and said, oh, I've done all those. I've done all those from my youth up, and Jesus said, well, you have been a good person, therefore, let me tell you this, 
You go home and sell everything you've got, give it away, and come follow me. Give all your belongings to the poor or the proceeds of their sale, and come follow me. And as you know, the man turned away in shame. There's another story similar to that, where a man said, uh, he said, what must I do? What can I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And Jesus talked about loving his neighbor, and he came out with a question. You remember it. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story. You remember it? There was a man who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. You go f- down from Jerusalem to anywhere because Jerusalem's on a mountain on a hill. He was going down to, Jer- to a Jericho. He fell among thieves. They beat him up. They robbed him, and they left him in the ditch for half dead. Uh, but it was good, in a way, because a preacher came along, a priest. And everybody thinking the preacher would, would take compassion on this guy. And he comes up, but he's on his way to a business meeting at church. They're going to have some uh, important thing to talk about. And so he kind of passed by on the other side and didn't even look at him through the corner of his eye. He passed on. Following him, there was a Levite. That's a religious leader, somebody who can memorize Scripture real well. And the Levite comes around, and he sees him, and he goes around in a detour. The Bible says a Samaritan, one of those good-for-nothing, half-breed Samaritans who lives in an area that you don't even want to let the soles of your sandals set foot where he lives, That good-for-nothing Samaritan came, and he looked upon him, and even though he didn't know him, even though he didn't have anything invested in him, even though he didn't have a relationship with him, the Bible says that he was the type person who said, I believe that I am my brother's keeper. And he took him, and he cleaned him up, and he bandaged him up, and he took him to a place where he could lodge And he paid money in advance for them to allow the man to stay there until he recovered. And the Samaritan told the motel keeper, he says, I'm going to go off for a while. But he says, I've given you enough money to uh, lodge this man. I will return and I'll take care of him. Where's your brother? Are you your brother's keeper? You may have seen in the news over the last couple of days. Uh, have you seen the name Mike Tresiak? Anybody? Mike Tresiak? Mike Tresiak, Jackson, Michigan, this past Tuesday, was in his front yard working on a truck. He's a tough guy. He's an Army National Guard. Uh, he's a, kind of a muscular guy, but he was working on his truck when he started hearing screams. He didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it, a lot of attention to it for the first maybe minute and a half, but the screams continued. He pulled himself out from under his truck, and he looked down the street, and his neighbor had been working on his uh, minivan that weighs 3,700 pounds, and while he was under, this neighbor was under the car working on the minivan, his jack came loose, and the car fell down upon the man, lodging him under it for several minutes. The man who was trapped under the van had a mother and a son. They tried frantically and without success to lift the van so that the man would be free. Mike Tresiak 
followed the screams, went down to where the van was. You can read this to make sure I'm telling you the truth. And he picked up the front bumper of the van. And how he did it, I don't know. But he lifted that van high enough that the man trapped underneath was able to roll out from under the van. It made front page news in some newspapers just yesterday and this morning. But it happened last Tuesday. Because Mike Tresiak was the kind of man who believed that he was his brother's keeper. In 2007, Wesley Autry, 50 years old, Wesley Autry was taking his two daughters to school in New York on the subway. While he was waiting for the train, a fellow passenger by the name of Cameron Holopeter had a seizure right there beside the subway as they were waiting for the subway train. And Mr. Hopper, having the seizure, fell off into the track in between the metal rails. In fact, part of his body was laying across the metal rail, and the subway train could be heard coming in a short distance. The news reports tell us that Audrey, Wesley Autry, jumped from the platform into the path of the oncoming train, he pulled the man who'd had the seizure in between the tracks and pushed him down as far as he could, and he laid upon him. He didn't have enough time to get the seizured man out of the way of the train, and the subway came over them, missing their heads by an inch and a half. Everybody thought they were both dead. Man, you don't survive getting run over by a train. You don't survive getting run over by the subway. They'd never seen anybody nor heard of anybody doing that. But as soon as the train went across, Wesley Autry raised his hand. He said, tell my two girls up there that daddy's okay. Paramedics came and they brought the seizured man out and took him to the hospital. Wesley Autry refused medical attention. The only thing he regretted was that laying down there in the middle of that track, he got his hair greasy. Wesley Autry. Why would a man jump on a track to help another man that he does not know, has no relationship with, when the train's coming? Why would a man risk his life like that? Because Wesley Autry believed that he is his brother's keeper. Victor Perez is a 29-year-old great picker. And one day, not long ago, he was staying home because it was bad weather. You can't be a great picker in bad weather. And he was staying home, and he was listening to a police radar radio. And he heard over the radio scanner the news that a young girl had been abducted. And on the radio scanner, they described the vehicle that the abductor was driving. Victor Perez was just outside listening to his radio at that time when he saw a vehicle go by that matched the description of the abductor's vehicle. He immediately got in his car and he started a chase. 
and he stayed on the uh, he stayed on the bumper of that person's vehicle until that that vehicle opened. The, they opened the side door and pushed the girl who had been kidnapped out the side of the door. And Victor Perez stopped his car, and he got out to make sure that she was still alive and okay. And he called. 911 told him where he was and he waited there with the girl until the police came with her mother and daddy to retrieve her within 30 minutes the abductor was kidnapped victor perez why would he do that he didn't know the girl he risked his life. You don't know who's going to be driving that van. They'll turn around and put a gun on you. What in the world? He was a person who believed that he was his brother's, or in this case, sister's, keeper. Where's your brother? Are you and I our brother's keepers? You ever heard of a Skutnik? Anybody ever heard of a Skutnik? Not Sputnik, but Skutnik. It's named after a man named Martin Skutnik. They called him Lenny. Lenny Skutnik. He was a low-level uh, finance manager at the United States Congressional Budget Office. It was 1982. He was walking home in the ice and snow on January the 13th in Washington, and he saw Air Flight Air Florida Flight 90 crash into the Potomac River. Most of the passengers in that crash never made it out of the river alive. And the ice was quickly taking the few who ended up surviving. There was a rescue helicopter that was called in and they lowered ropes from the helicopter down to the people who were in the icy water, but they were too numb and weak to grab onto the rope and hold on to it. Lenny Skutnik was witnessing all this on the shore. And when he saw those people were unable to grab the rope for themselves, he lit out in those icy Potomac waters and he started grabbing people and, and pulling people to shore, assisting people who would otherwise have drowned, bringing them to the shore and saving their lives. Less than a month later... President Reagan gave his 1982 State of the Union address. And in the area of that house chamber where the First Lady normally sits, he reserved a place for Lenny Skutnik. And ever since that time, as you well know, ordinary heroes are invited into that section of the House chamber by every president, Republican or Democrat. But from that point on, this thing started happening, and the press corps, the Washington press corps, calls these ordinary people invited to the State of the Union address, Skutniks. A Skutnik, I believe, is not somebody who sits up there in the uh, balcony in the house chamber of the state of the union address a skutnik i believe is somebody who believes that he or she has a responsibility 
to their fellow humankind. You and I have a responsibility to the people we are around. Next month, Leroy will get the Medal of Honor. Leroy Petrie will get the Medal of Honor. He'll be the second living Medal of Honor recipient from the Iraq-Afghanistan wars. He was fighting in Afghanistan with three of his comrades, and they came under fire by Taliban rebels. One of the four was killed outright. One of the others was shot in the leg, and Leroy Petrie ran out and got him and dragged him to safety while he also was being shot at. He was shot in both of his legs and still managed to pull his comrade off to safety from around the corner away from the oncoming bullets. His third comrade managed to get over there also with him, and the three of them were together when they looked around the corner and a grenade fell right there in the corner. Leroy Petri didn't have a minute to think about it. He reached out, grabbed the grenade, and as he is throwing it, the grenade went off, obliterating his right arm. His action saved the lives of his two friends. And when the president offers him a certificate along with the Medal of Honor, placing it around his neck, Leroy Petrie will receive it with an artificial hand. Why would somebody do that? Because they believed that they're responsible for their brothers. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, as Chris sang, he didn't go for show. He didn't go just so somebody would write about him, although some gospel writers did. He went to the cross because he believed that he, the Son of God, God in flesh, had a responsibility to people who could not do for themselves what only he could do. And by the way, that would be me and you. And he did for you and me what Cain refused to do for his brother Abel. Jesus once told his disciples one time, when they were arguing over who was the greatest, he said this, he said, guys, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. I didn't come to be ministered to, I came to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. And that's exactly what he did. On the cross, Jesus answered three questions. Who is my brother? Everybody. Jesus died for everybody to have an opportunity to receive him and be saved. Where is my brother? Everywhere. 
in every nook and cranny, in every metropolis, and in every primitive jungle. Is my brother and sister. Am I my brother's keeper? I believe Jesus' death on the cross proves that his answer to that question is a resounding, passionate yes. Yes, I am my brother's keeper. And yes, you and I are our brother's keeper. Where is your brother? Are you his keeper? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would plant in us a greater love than we have ever had. Not just for the people we know and not just for our family, but for every single person with whom we come in contact. Lord, let us prefer others before ourselves. Let us really do that. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to communicate to others that more than anybody else, you were the brother who cared for his little brothers and sisters. Lord, when you went to the cross. And so, Lord, tonight, if there is somebody who is not saved, who's never received you as Savior, I pray that they too would come and say, Preacher, I just want to invite Jesus into my heart. I pray that that would happen tonight. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.